That's not the same word as we just saw. This is a word of reverence. This is a word of high respect, incredible honor. Now, that word fear, the first frightful fear, would be to those who don't know the Lord, those who cannot come into his presence and honor and respect him. And they ought to fear the Lord because the only thing they're going to receive from the Lord is his judgment. And that's a frightful thing. It's damnation. It's eternal. It's frightening. But for the one who knows the Lord and walks with the Lord and loves the Lord, we fear him in reverence. We respect, we honor him. So those two words are important to understand the difference. Journalist Fulton Orsler said, many of us crucify ourselves between two thieves, regret for the past and fear the future. Somehow that's where we live, isn't it? Straddled between those two great thieves, thieves of time, thieves of emotion, The things that drive us berserk because we're so regretful, if only. And we look to the future and we have great fears. It's natural as you look to the future to have some measure of concern and maybe some wonder and and maybe you are excited about the potential that's out there or perhaps you are very fearful, quaking in uncertainty. The future, how do you approach it? What's your concern? The word fear uh, is, can be broken down into a little acronym. That's where you take each of the letters of the word and make new words out of them. Fear, maybe you've heard this, is false evidence appearing real. Fear is false evidence appearing real. A few years ago, a uh, little seven-year-old boy was accidentally shot to death by his younger brother. The mother, a single parent working two jobs to support her children, had uh, often had to work late into night, and as she was not in a good area of town, she began to grow in fear, and that fear began to uh, exhibit itself in some, uh, some ways where she tried to protect herself. So she went out and she got herself a handgun, which she cared for very carefully most of the time, but one day she left it in her purse on the, uh, in the car on the front seat, and the boys were playing around, and they found it, and the gun went off. Now, if you were to put a cause of death on that death certificate, I would suggest that fear would be an accurate description of the cause of death. She got into a grip of fear and took actions and then got careless in that action. It led to the loss of a young life. Fear is very much a part of life. Maybe you're afraid of losing a job. Maybe you're afraid of losing your health. Maybe you're afraid of losing your finances. Maybe you're afraid of not being accepted, afraid of growing old. I I went to the computer and I Googled fear, and I got phobias. And I, 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 you, you can see this is pretty small type on here, and I pared it down, there's probably about six or seven additional pages that that could be on here from the website that I saw. Maybe you have some of these fears, phobias, fear of air. I hope not. (laughs) 
airborne noxious substance fear, aerophobia, <laughs> and fear of amnesia. <laughs> You'll never know. <laughs> fear of animals. Uh, this is a Baptist fear. It's called fear of anything new. There's the fear of bald people. <laughs> that would be uh, pelodophobia. <laughs> okay. Fear of bathing. I think my kids had that when they were rather young. They also had the fear of going to bed. <laughs> fear of the boogeyman. Uh, you, you might imagine bogeyphobia. <laughs> it's right there. <laughs> uh, fear of change. Fear of church. Nobody has that, I, I don't think. Ecclesiophobia. Fear of clowns, fear of comets, fear of computers, fear of crowds, fear of decision-making, fear of being tickled by feathers. Okay? Uh, fears of forgetting and fears of good news. I don't know why you would fear good news, but it's there. Euphobia. <laughs> fear of gravity. Fear of ideas, fear of injections, fear of injury, fear of insanity, and fear of insects. And he goes on and on and on. You can have a fear of the day if you would choose, and you'd never run out of them. What are you fearful of? Well, maybe one thing or another, and it's an emotion that sometimes captivates and controls, and it can even freeze up your activity and function. And as a result... Of course, we take precautions, and we want to protect ourselves from all of those fears, and so we buy insurance policies to, con to cover the things that we consider valuable. We put uh, bars on our windows and doors and alarm systems to protect our automobiles, and we do that out of fear, and sometimes it's a justifiable fear, and yet sometimes fear can consume us and control us. God has some things to say about fear in his word. Listen what he says. You'll remember this passage. Fear not, for behold, I bring you glad tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Don't have to fear. There's a Savior coming. That's the message of Christmas. You don't have to be afraid. Another verse says, For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, Fear not, I will help you. And in the Psalm 34 where we're at, the psalmist is praising the Lord. He's doing it in a very personal way. In verse 4 he declares, I sought the Lord and he answered me. And he delivered me from all my fears. So if God can do it for David, and God tells us even in the New Testament, fear not because I've got great news for you, can he not alleviate our fears today? I believe he can, and I think there are some basic steps that we can turn to from Scripture that help us alleviate our fears. In order to do that, I think the first thing we need to do is you have to expose it. You have to face your fear. You've heard that, haven't you? You've got to face your fear in order to overcome it because you have to reveal it for what it really is. Don't assume what it is because you remember fear is false evidence appearing real. You need to determine what is real and what is not real. Uh, I go, I'll go back to Genesis, and the first chapter of the book tells us about God coming and walking and talking with Adam and Eve in the garden. 
Can you imagine a more blessed scene? It's a beautiful garden. It looks something like Hawaii, I think. (laughs) Beautiful waters flowing through and beautiful lush trees. Everything is gorgeous. Nothing is decaying. You don't have to rake up the leaves because they stay healthy. Stay on the trees. (laughs) The fruit is always ripe, not too ripe. And in the cool of the evening, God comes down and he has fellowship with Adam and Eve and he walks and he talks with them, communing with them. You know what it is when family comes and and, and you get to spend time together and you go do an event together and you just enjoy the experience of being together. And that's what's going on in the Garden of Eden. But then you you turn the page over to chapter 3 and about verse 8 and you find the scene changes because... They've eaten of the tree of knowledge, good and evil, the forbidden fruit. So God comes down into the garden that evening as he always had in the past, and he's looking and he's not seeing Adam and Eve. And so he calls out and he says, Adam, where are you? Do you think he knew? Of course. He calls out again, Adam, where are you? And pretty soon there's a timid, weak voice from behind the lush green bushes. He says, I'm over here, Lord. Well, Adam, what are you doing over there? I'm hiding, Lord. Adam, why are you hiding from the almighty, all-knowing God? (laughs) He says, I'm naked. Who told you you were naked? As you read through there, you see one of the primary things is, I hid for I was afraid. Adam was afraid. The more you try to hide or cover up your sin, the more you will run from God. The more you refuse to face the things and the sins that keep us from Him, the deeper you will go. Do you remember a time when you've really, really been frightened fearful, that surge of fear coursed through your veins, and maybe it was a cold chill, and just your whole body almost goes limp. The strength evaporates. Pastor Dennis Slaughter of Valley View Christian Church in Dallas writes about a time he was home alone for a few days. He said, my wife went to St. Louis to babysit with three of our daughters, and I had to batch it for a while. So for about three or four days, I was totally on my own. I had to find my own meals. I had to make my own bed. I had to clean up my own mess. I really wasn't all that excited about it. But then I was a person who enjoys some time alone, so I thought that this would be a very positive experience. I knew that I would miss my wife and family, but I wasn't going to dread the time of being alone. I handled everything very well except for one night. I came home about 10 o'clock. After watching the evening news, reading a couple of chapters, I drifted off into a very deep sleep. About midnight, there was a loud bang that suddenly awakened me. I'd never heard that noise before. I felt a surge of fear. I laid there in bed for a while and listened. It came again, and then it came again, and I laid there trying to figure out what it was. All kinds of thoughts went through my mind. I imagined little green men on a space saucer just landed in my backyard. (laughs) I imagined burglars breaking in to get our valuables. And I smiled and thought, boy, are they going to be disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) I imagined all kinds of things and I listened. 
But for the life of me, I couldn't figure out what it was. Finally, I decided if they're going to get me, they're going to get me. So I got up and walked around the house trying to find out what was making the noise. He says, my wife likes to hang things on the wall, inside and outside, any place she can find a nail. On our back porch, among other things, she had hung a tray. And a windy night, and the wind came up from just the right direction, and it moved that tray, and it slammed against the wall. That's all it was. I'd lost an hour and a half sleep trying to figure out what was making the noise. And the second it was discovered and exposed, the fear was gone. Isn't that the truth about fear? When it is exposed for what it is, there is no fear. Fear can be the result of sin, as in Adam and Eve. Fear can be the result of something merely unknown as in this case. But we need to expose it for what it is so that we can respond to it. And when you know what it is, then you can begin to eliminate those fears. 1 John 4.18 is a familiar verse, a great verse of Scripture. You've heard it before. Perfect love casts out fear. You don't fear the people you love. And that's why we sang songs of worship and adoration and praise and coming into the very presence of God, the God that loves us and the God that we love in response. Because perfect love casts out fear. That tells me that fear and love cannot coexist. They are diametrically opposed. They are polar opposites. The closer you get to the one, the further away you get from the other. Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We've answered the question, what is truth, many a time. Jesus says, I am the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And therefore, he's saying, as you get to know me, as you learn to think as I think, you will learn the truth. Then you'll be set free from fear, from sin, from the uncertainties of life. Because perfect love casts out fear. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, without hesitation, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and all your mind, all your strength. So if I love God with all my body and my mind and all my emotions, what happens? I no longer need to be afraid. I I don't have to be afraid of what might afflict me physically. I don't need to be afraid of mental anxieties. I don't need to be afraid of emotional insecurities because perfect love casts out fear. None of us knows what tomorrow's going to hold. Now, if I asked you, I know you could tell me some pretty bad things, what you imagine might be, but we don't know, do we? There are plenty of prophets of doom but even they don't really know. But you see, if our security depends on our bank account, our health, our good relationships with others, then we're doomed to failure because the only secure relationship that we can have is in the Lord Jesus. And perfect love casts out fear. So first we have to expose our fears for what they really are. We need to then eliminate them by building a relationship of love with our Savior first and foremost. And then thirdly, we need to expect the power and the blessing of God. Let me get you back to Psalms 34, 4. Because it says that the psalmist sought the Lord. 
That's so important to seek after the Lord. Now, the, 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 the natural man cannot seek the Lord. We established that in Sunday school, didn't we, this morning? <laughs> no one seeks after God. Go to Romans chapter 3 and read that through a few times, and you'll get the picture that in and of ourselves, our natural man, we are not inclined to seek after God or the things of God. We, we don't go that direction. It is God who extends himself to us and draws us to himself, and we respond to what God is doing. But here the psalmist says, I sought the Lord. He could seek the Lord because he already had the Lord. The Spirit of God was within him, and that gave him a desire. And it gave him a sense of knowledge of the Spirit of God was instructing and teaching and drawing him. And so he sought the Lord. When he had a question, when he had a concern, he sought the Lord. Do you come to the Lord with expectation? When you come to the Lord to pray, what do you expect to get in return? What do you expect Him to do? What do you expect to receive? Or do you? Well, I'm just praying because I have to. I'm about to eat, and it's a, it's a rule of, of something from somewhere that I have to pray before I eat. Well, let me tell you that Jesus gave us that example of giving thanks before he broke bread, so there is a, there's a precedence there. But sometimes we get into a ritualistic habit about what we do and when we pray. And while habits of prayer are good, they ought not to become routine and ritual. We ought to come to the Lord with expectation. Jeremiah 33, 3 says, Call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things you do not know. Great and mighty things you can't even begin to comprehend. That's what he has in store for those who will come to him and humble themselves and lean upon him and expect things of him. We know his capability. We know his love for us. Therefore, we can come to him with expectation. We're busy people, aren't we? In fact, we're very proud of how busy we are, aren't we? Amen? <laughs> Sometimes you want to get a gathering of maybe family, friends, coworkers, any, any kind of group together for a meeting, and you go around, and if there's enough people in the group, you say, does this day work for you? Uh, let me get my, my calendar out and we check. Uh, not for me. How about you? Yeah, you. No, you. Okay, let's go to this day. How about this date? Yes, yes, no, no, yes, no. Well, how about this date? And we go through all the dates, and there just never seems to be a good time for everybody because everybody's so busy. And we've figured out that the busier we are, the more important we are. Right? No. That's not the, the, the basis of your worth. Sometimes we're so busy running from place to place that we don't have time to slow down and be still and know that I am God. We need to spend time listening to God. Hearing from God. Not running through the drive through saying, God, give me my shot for the morning so that I can make it through the day. If we spend more time with God, more time, not just quality time, quantity time, I think we'll be less frantic 
the rest of the day. Max Licato, in his book, In the Eye of Storm, talks about traveling from one speaking engagement to, the, to another. He'd gone to San Antonio and was headed to Boston, and then from there on up to Edmonton, Canada, to fulfill a speaking engagement. And when his plane landed in Minneapolis, where he had to change over, he was thinking about how tired and hungry he was, and how crowded the airplane had been, and how his back was aching, and his mind and was hurting. And he tried as he could, he couldn't even remember who he was supposed to meet when he got off the plane at the next stop. And so he was headed to the gate, and he thought, hey, there's a McDonald's. I'll stop in there, and I'll grab a quick hamburger, and at least that will appease my stomach. And on his way to go there, he, he writes, I passed something better. I passed a telephone. I decided to call home. I called, my wife answered the phone, and we just talked. We settled earth-shaking issues. We talked about the weather in San Antonio and the weather in New England. Talked about what the girls did when they went to school that day and that one of them was going to have a friend over to spend the night. We talked about earth-shaking things like that. He said, after I had finished talking with her, I really felt good. Then she passed the receiver to one of my daughters, and she told me about her day. And when she finished, she said, Daddy, I, I love you. He says, it felt good to be loved. Then the phone was passed to the next daughter, and she talked for a while. And he says, Daddy, I miss you. He said, it felt good to be missed. Passed the phone over to the six-month-old baby, and I talked baby talk on the phone. And people passing by looked strange at me. <laughs> it felt good to be cooed at. <laughs> then we hung up, and I made my way to the next gate. I forgot how hungry I was, forgot how tired I was because I had called home and it made all the difference in the world. Then he says, maybe we ought to call home more. Maybe we ought to spend more time listening to the ear of God's and not to so much of the noise that's on the TV and the radio and on around about us. Take time to listen to God. Take time to talk to God, to share with Him your concerns, your fears. I, I don't imagine in this life we will ever be able to completely and fully eliminate all fears, but we can get rid of the things that distract us from Him. And we can focus our attention on a loving God who really does care for us. And then we'll begin to hear Him speak. And as we listen, we'll get to know Him, and we'll get to love Him, and our love for Him will grow, and our fears will be forgotten. Because the closer you get to love, the further away you get from fear. Remember, they're polar opposites. You know, the greatest fear that somebody may have is about eternity. And it's a justifiable fear, but it's one that needs to be dealt with. And maybe you are concerned about your eternal salvation, not sure that if Jesus were to come today that you would go with him to spend eternity. Fear of whether you're lost or saved. And if there's any insecurity about that, it needs to be dealt with today. Don't wait. Expose it for what it is. It is a sin condition that keeps you in opposition to God. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God. But the gift of God, once that has been exposed, God offers the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The greatest satisfaction can be had when you know your eternity is secure. And the Scripture says that he that comes to God, he will in no wise cast out. He promises to receive us, to forgive us of our sin, to cleanse us, to make us clean and whole, and acceptable in His sight.
Do you know the Lord as Savior today? And cast your cares upon Him because He cares for you. 1 John 5.13 reminds us, these things are written that you might know, that you may know that you have everlasting life. I trust that's your hope and your confidence today.